I've got to do this morning is uh, do the message in two parts. Um, so this is part one. The reason for that is that I think it's um, important to see things in their context. And so I think we need, first of all, some uh, background to how we uh, get to uh, King David, as it were, and also to understand what's happening, we need to understand what happened, as it were. And therefore, uh, no apologies for a little bit of a history lesson uh, just to start with. In our Bible, 1 Samuel follows the book of Ruth, which follows the book of Judges. Do you remember that? Have you learned that? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, so on and so on. Uh, And uh, the Bible is not always strictly chronological. It's split into... Uh, you know, the law, the history books, poetry, and, and so on. But in, in this case, there is a certain chronologi- chrono- chronology to um, uh, these books. And I, I, I cooked up a little slide. Forgive me, it's not terribly clever because it's not my thing. But this is where, where we are, really, um, with, um, uh, with David. You, um, you remember... Uh, the Exodus, Moses led the children of Israel uh, out of the wilderness some 40 plus years and we get to crossing the River Jordan, um, the Battle of Jericho, the time of Joshua uh, and so on and the beginning of the conquest of the promised land. And uh, this is the time when um, we had... Uh, the judges, people like beginning with um, Joshua and going on through to all sorts of uh, characters were referred to as the judges, another word for leaders really, so when a leader was needed um, God uh, found a leader for the people uh, to deliver them from their enemies and uh, after some 300 and something years Obviously, Joshua died within that time. And, um, and so we had this uh, time of um, uh, the judges. I don't know what, what you think, but you know, when you read the Bible sometimes, we don't, get the, we don't really cotton on to the time, do we? And I, I didn't realize that it was some 300-something years that they were actually engaged in securing the promised land. I mean, they had um, conquered much of it and they had divided it up amongst the families, but there were still ongoing wars. As we'll see when we come to, um, uh, you know, look at the life of David, the Philistines were still around causing trouble. Then there was these Amalekite characters. Uh, you know, they, was, they still had to be sorted out. And um, so, you know, the thing was still um, ongoing. And in, in fact... If you read on through, it's not until you come to the time of Solomon that the borders of Israel are actually where they ought to be. That's interesting, isn't it? You know? um, well, it is to me, because I like a bit of history. Not, I know not everybody does. So, and here, obviously, the Exodus, that's um, where we get the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. 
the time of um, con- the conquest of the promised land, Joshua, the judges, and Ruth fits into that time. Somewhere in there is the story of um, Ruth and Boaz. And uh, we have the birth at the beginning of uh, uh, 1 Samuel. We have the birth of, um, of Samuel, who was the last judge of Israel, the last leader uh, of Israel. And he judged Israel uh, right into his old age. And um, he was a great man. And um, in the same way as the study of the life of David is really uh, you know, helpful, so would be the study of the life of Samuel. It's amazing to see how God worked in his life and how he dealt with various situations. And he never lost faith with, with God, despite uh, the things that took place and the disappointments he had. So there we are. That's just a kind of, to sort of show you uh, where we are. Um, so uh, we're, what, what I want to do, first of all, is to just backtrack a little from um, chapter 16, which is what we're going to look at this morning, and just go back to chapter 8. Because in chapter 8, verses 4 to 7, uh, we read this. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. That was his home. They said to him, you are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. Then later on in verses 19 and 20, it says where Samuel, after Samuel had tried to persuade them against um, having a king, the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations, with a king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. Now in the Bible, every word is significant. And when we move into the stories of Saul and David, we will understand just where Saul failed and where David succeeded. God had chosen the children of Israel, Jacob, to be his people, his chosen people, his special people. He led them out of Egypt, said, I'm going to give you a land I've promised you, and you'll be my people. And he made a covenant, an agreement with them. You keep my laws, and I'll bless you. When you don't keep my laws, it's going to go wrong. And that, of course, was their experience. And that's why we have, as we saw there, the time of the judges Particularly, it went wrong. They were oppressed by somebody, the Moabites or somebody. God appointed a leader. He sorted things out for them. All was well. They forgot God again. And so it went, and so it, uh, went on. God had a plan. He, and his plan was that he would be their king and he would appoint leaders to lead the people. That's how he worked. 
But it ended with Samuel. What God had provided for them was not enough. These um, judges, uh, they get a mention in Hebrews. You know Hebrews um, 11 about um, faith and so on. Uh, Paul writes, And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions. These were the men that God chose to be leaders amongst the people. But they didn't want that. They wanted to be like the other nations. They wanted to be like the enemy. Does that ring a bell in Christian things? Do we sometimes have to make a choice between standing up and saying, that's not for me, I belong to God? Or sometimes do we allow it to permeate our lives? Do we allow the enemy to have a place? Their enemies surrounded them and they wanted to be like them. They effectively rejected God. They forgot their history. They forgot God's covenant with them. They made a choice. They wanted to be led by an earthly monarch with all the trappings of power they would have to provide. And that's what, if, if I encourage you to go and read uh, 1 Samuel, and that's what you'll find that um, Samuel said to them. Look, if you have a king, he'll take your sons for soldiers, he'll take your daughters for servants, he'll take your land to provide him with uh, all the things that a king expects. In Psalm 146, verse 3, which is not designated as a Psalm of David, but it says, Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. Why do that when you have the God of creation himself to be your king? The children of Israel have been called to stand out, to be different from the nations around them. God said, don't take up their gods. Be different. He instigated um, something that we find really strange and maybe described as barbaric, circumcision, so that they would be different from the people around them. That's what it was about. It's about being different. And for us, the challenge is to be different, isn't it? Not to let the, be absorbed by the, the world or to absorb the world around us. God has a plan for us. It involves trusting him. It involves accepting the sacrifice that his son Jesus made on our behalf and turning to him in faith and repentance. And then as a consequence of that, showing that character, living that life prompted by the Holy Spirit, being Christ-like, being different. The Israelites rejected God. And we need to realize that there's no religious halfway house. We either accept God and his son Jesus or we reject him. We need to take care that we're not kind of working out our own sort of religion or salvation, our own path or agenda. Are we genuine followers of Jesus? Because he's the leader that God has appointed for us. 
watching the clock here. Right, well, I looked at um, this, and I think that uh, what we have here is the beginning of a story of uh, two kings. If we'd read on from chapter 8, we'd see how that Saul was chosen to be um, a king. He fitted the bill in terms of what the people asked for. He was a head and shoulders above everyone else. That's a phrase today that we use, isn't it? Um, We talk about somebody um, in comparison to their work colleagues or on a team or their classmates, etc. We say, well, he's head and shoulders above the others. Well, that is exactly what Saul was. So he looked like a king. He looked at the part. And um, if you read those um, chapters, you'll find that it all began well, and then it went wrong. And Saul got a bit full of himself, um, thought that he, he knew best, and it all came to a head with these Amalekites again. They're always popping up. But the Amalekites, God had decided it was time uh, to finish them. And uh, Saul was uh, given instructions to kill all the Amalekites and to kill all their uh, livestock. But Saul thought he knew better and he kept the best of the cattle. Um, And when Samuel saw this, Saul's excuse was, that he was keeping them to make um, an offering. Uh, And uh, Samuel's response was to say, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. To heed is better than the fat of rams. Poor Saul, Saul, he had missed the point. God had appointed him, yes, to be king, But he was subject to God, and he'd lost that. And he thought he could decide uh, how he was to behave, and if he thought he could behave as a priest and make a sacrifice, then he would um, do that. And if he thought he knew better than God and keep the better animals, he would do that. And so God rejected Saul and told him that he was not going to found a dynasty and that uh, his line would end with him. And that's where we get to when we get to the beginning of chapter 16. And God says to Samuel, stop mourning for Saul. Saul's yesterday's man, as it were. And uh, I have found um, uh, my man. I've I've found uh, my man, uh, David. And so we have the story where Samuel was sent... uh, And out of eight sons, the youngest, the least important, was chosen uh, to be king. And we have those verses that we looked at earlier on. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So what does this mean for us? Does it mean really that the, uh, the, the plain, the quieter people, even the vertically challenged are the only objects of God's love? Well, no, that's not the point, is it? David was, in fact, as we had read to us, good-looking. He was strong and intelligent, and he proved to be a warrior. We discover later on 
that he's a musician and a poet. Such a person today would be a tremendous celebrity, wouldn't he? I guess many of you, uh, like me, you know, were sad to hear of the passing of Ronnie Corbett in this world of, for me, particular, there's a particular empathy I have there. But, uh, you know, in his world, he was a great guy, wasn't he? You know, he was famous. And lots of people have come out and said this and that and that about him. He was a celebrity. And so of King David, that would have been true. People could say, well, David was this, David was that. People would have seen him as a celebrity. So we, we mustn't get carried away. God wasn't looking for somebody a bit hopeless and obscure. You know, he wanted somebody that had gifts and abilities. But God wanted to use David. Not for David to then go off and do his own thing, which is rather sadly what Saul did. I was a bit uh, intrigued about uh, David and, um, and the Psalms. Uh, a few before the, the Lent, or for those of us, a uh, few of us who meet here, actually during the Lent, the times we were able to meet, we've been looking at the Psalms on the Tuesday groups. And uh, I, I was a bit intrigued to find out about uh, David's Psalms. There are 150 psalms, uh, and it depends what bits you read, but David wrote 74 or 73 of them. There are 34 psalms where the author is not known. I suspect David wrote some of those. And of those uh, uh, 74, 14 are psalms which relate to specific events in David's life, and some of those we looked at in the Tuesday. So what's the point of all this then? What's the point of God looking at the heart rather than the outward appearance? Well, it tells us, first of all, that God doesn't judge someone the way we would. Saul, preaching at Antioch uh, many years later, um, says that after removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. And uh, in the previous um, chapter, uh, in chapter 13, Samuel tells Saul, the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. So that's what God saw in David was the heart of the man. Speculate with me for a moment. I'll put that in my notes because I was speculating as I uh, sat down and contemplated this. How and when and where did God discover David's heart? How of all the tribes, families, individuals of the nation of Israel did God find one man and discover his heart? Well, when we meet David, it's as the youngest son, a shepherd. Bible history is full of famous shepherds. Abraham, Jacob, Moses, and more. The Lord himself described himself as the good shepherd. The theme of God as a shepherd 
of his people is a recurring one throughout the Bible. In the order of things, David was not important at all. The youngest of eight sons given the job of looking after the sheep. Not the most glamorous job. And not the easiest job either. But I believe that as the Lord saw David and the way he conducted himself over just the sheep, he saw a man who cared. A man who didn't say, this matters and that doesn't matter, but a man who gave himself totally to every task he was given. And God saw that in caring for sheep, David could care for his people. He saw what David's family didn't see when he was hidden away in the hills of Judea with those sheep. Because we find out later on what David did, killed the bear and the lion and, and, and so on. But that's what I believe God saw. And next week when we get to that really terribly well-known story of David and Goliath, I think it teaches us so much about uh, David than perhaps we sometimes realize. So for us today, as we have just briefly looked at this little incident where David is chosen to be the king because God saw his heart and said, there's a man with my heart. There's a man who cares. There's a man who will not just be the king, he'll be the shepherd of my people. He'll see that they're fed. He'll see that they're safe. He'll see that they're well. Because that's what a shepherd does, isn't it? Um, I understand that going back into the Hebrew, the word really is about feeding. I'm not a scholar, but I read that somewhere. So, where's this relevance for us then? Well, we saw in this story that God chose David. There's an old um, hymn, it's really quite uh, dirgy, but it has a line that, um, in it that I, just sticks in my mind when I think of this. It, the hymn starts off, when this passing world is done, when sinks yonder. It's a really old hymn. Anyway. You can look it up if you like. But there's a line in it that says, Chosen not for good in me. Woken up from wrath to flee. Do you get it? Chosen not for good. When God looked at David, he saw a man with a heart like his. But we don't live in the days of David. We don't live in the days where we need to follow the Lord. We live in the days of grace. And God looks at all of us and seeks us for himself. Isn't that marvellous? If I'd have lived in those olden days, I'd have been a kind of failure. I know. But for us, it isn't the same. What God asks of us is to turn to him in faith. Unlike David, there's nothing about us that merits God's favour. There's none of us that can boast. The Bible reminds us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Let me, in conclusion, remind you of a favorite verse of mine. 
from 1 Corinthians 1, 25, 27. And some of you know I've bored you with this before. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. I love that. It just puts it all in perspective. I can't boast to God of anything. And yet, he reaches out for me. He gave his son to die for me. And so with this in mind, I think we ought to be more concerned about the heart that God does see in you and me. The real you and me. Can I ask you this morning, have you got your Sunday face on? I've told you already I've got my Sunday best on. But it's easy to put a Sunday face on, isn't it? To put a persona on. To be the person we think the people will admire. To, um, you know, uh, share with them the life that we live. I, I don't know about you, but I mean, I lived in a workplace that for all my life was an office with lots of people, lots of different people. And there were always the characters that wanted to tell you what they'd done and what they'd been doing. Because they wanted to present to you a picture of the kind of person they were that you were meant to admire. Some were quite admirable, I'm sure. We can easily create a persona, show a face to the world. But God looks at our heart. When I was talking to the children and in our prayer, I talked about being the people that God wants us to be. And surely that's what we should be seeking to do. To have our actions and our motives that reflect him. To seek to live that life that shows the fruit of the spirit that we spent nine Sundays um, looking at. And do we have a heart that cares? The heart of a shepherd. Do we really care for a broken world? Do we really care for the unlovely? You know, the people that, oh, they're not popular. Do you know, I have encountered a few occasions in my adult life where I had to stop and say, oh no, the playground has crept into my adult life. And I've encountered people, you know, the kids in the playground who don't have any friends or everybody makes a bit of a mock of. The other extreme of that is that we reach out to people that perhaps are not so um, popular. Do we care about the lost? Those that don't share with us the joy of salvation, of knowing Jesus to be our saviour, of rejoicing as we have this morning in the grace of God. Even here, there's a few of us this morning, but you know, what do we know of one another, of our struggles in the week, of our church family? There are some missing here this morning. We reached out to them. That's the shepherd spirit, isn't it? 
So the challenge for us is what and who does God see? We have so much. We have God's word as a guide. We have one another to uh, spur one another on, as uh, Paul writes to Timothy, stir one another up to love and to good works. We have a church family. We meet in safety. We're not running uh, in fear of our lives. We have so much. Surely the result of all that should be the people that God wants us to be, rather than perhaps striving to be the people we think other people will admire. The brave thing sometimes. Sorry, we've gone on a bit. I actually missed a bit out. <laughs> but I, I, I just got to say that, um, as so often happens with these things, um, as I uh, you know, sit down at my desk with a Bible, and nowadays it's great, you can search things, can't you, you know, um, uh, and discover uh, so much. I just got so uh, caught up in this, um, the story of Samuel and Saul and David and the interaction. I haven't really shared any of it with you uh, this morning, but I hope uh, we go away with a resolve to be the people that God wants us to be, have the hearts that will please him.